Welcome to Brit David Podcast and the conclusion of Pastor Tim's message entrusted with the gospel from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. The means by which God will get the gospel from one generation to the next is the same scheme he has used since Jesus rose from the dead. It's for people who know him to introduce him to people who need to know him. That's plan A and there is no plan B. He has entrusted you with the gospel. Now, what will you do with it? Here's Pastor Tim. So the gospel steward loves unselfishly. Number two, the gospel steward labors untiringly. He labors untiringly. We've already taken notice of that understatement back up in verse number two, where Paul says that he had suffered and that he was spitefully treated. We read about those things that happened to him in Philippi and in Thessalonica and in Berea. It's more than just a little suffering. It's more than just a little spite. And yet Paul and his whole team forges onward. I want you to see just how persistent that they really are. You know, sometimes people will say, well, when I grow up, I'm going to go into the ministry. I'm going to be like Tim. I've never heard anybody say that, but anyway. <laughs> but I have heard this one. Because he only works one day a week, right? Now, I usually say, and then you fuss because I work too long, right? Well, the truth of the matter is, is that the work is work. Whether you're talking about professional pastoring or just being a believer, just being a Christian who understands that they are gospel stewards, a believer who understands that he has been entrusted with this treasure that not only does he have to share, but that he gets to share, and that on the inside of him he must share. Like Jeremiah is saying, it was like a fire shut up in my bones. I had to speak it. I want you to know this about a gospel steward's work. Number one, their work is strenuous. It's strenuous. We left off, we read through verse number eight. Read with me verse number nine. He says, for you remember, brethren, our labor and toil... For laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preached to you the gospel of God. There are three words in this verse that I want to draw your attention to. The first one is this word, labor. He says, remember brethren, our labor. The word that he uses for labor comes from a word that means to be cut. To be cut like with a knife. It's a word that means to be beaten down. It's a word that means to be wearied. It's where we get our phrase, work your fingers to the bone. That's what Paul's saying. Remember, brethren, how we have worked our fingers to the bone. How we have been wearied 
and beaten down and cut and worked. You say, Tim, this is the worst sales pitch I have ever heard. (laughs) If that's what it means to be a gospel steward, I'm not so sure I really want to do that. But Paul uses that very same word for labor when he says this. Remember, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Everything that he, you do for Him, He remembers. Every blood drop, every sweat drop, every tear drop, He knows. It is labor. And Paul pairs that word with the word toil. Remember, brethren, our labor and toil. If you're reading from a King James, it says our travail. That may get to it just a little, a little bit more. In fact, Paul will use that very same word in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It will be translated as painfulness. Painfulness. Travail. Toil. It's a word that is defined this way. It is a hard and difficult labor, hardship, Distress. These are not easy words, are they? Being a gospel steward is not about being easy. Being a gospel steward is demanding. Being a gospel steward is burdensome. But there's somebody who helps to carry your load. There's one up there, and there's a bunch right here. Now, there are three words. The third word I want to show you is the word laboring. You may say, well, that's not a big deal. That's just the verb of the noun that you've already used. Actually, it's not. It's a whole different word that he chooses this time. This time, for laboring, he uses a word that simply means performing the job, doing the task, earning the business, getting out and doing the work. The word that he uses for laboring is the word that we get our word energy from. You're expending all of your energies to accomplish what? The purpose, right? If the purpose of being entrusted with the gospel is to impart that to others that they too might come to know your Savior the way that you know Him, You will expend all of your energies and work your fingers to the bone to make sure that that gospel gets out. Their work is strenuous, but number two, their work is sacrificial. Their work is sacrificial. Stay with me right here in verse number nine for a moment. In in fact, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong verse. Go back up one verse. Go back up with me to verse number eight. I don't want you to miss what Paul says. He says, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, notice this, but also to impart to you our own lives. To be a gospel steward is not something that you do on a mission trip. 
To be a gospel steward is not something that you do by manning a, a good news tent at Ark in the Park. Being a gospel steward is not what you do on Sundays. It's not what you do by teaching a children's class or an adult class or a youth class. Being a gospel steward requires everything from you. Everything. Do you remember when Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be, what? Witnesses unto me. The word that he uses for witnesses is the word that we get martyr from. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my martyrs. You will give everything for the gospel. Paul gave them his whole life. Why? He explains it this way to the Corinthian church. Now this we do for the gospel's sake. One of these days... I'm not going to be able to tell anybody anymore. One of these days, I'm not going to be able to go anywhere anymore. One of these days, there won't be one person that I can share the gospel with. One of these days, the night is coming. Jesus said, work while it is day, for no one knows when the night comes. There's coming a day when I won't be able to go and yet the gospel will still remain. It will still be as powerful. It will still be as transforming. It will still be as life-changing. and will still be as needed. So give it everything you've got. Gospel stewards, they love unselfishly. They labor untiringly. And number three, gospel stewards live unwaveringly. They live unwaveringly. I don't mean in this that you don't mess up. I don't even mean that you don't mess up a lot. But what I do mean is this. If you believe the very message that you intend to impart to others, your life ought to show it. Your conduct ought to show it. Your conduct adds credibility to the message that you intend to share with somebody else. A man who talks like the world and who acts like the world is going to have an awful hard time convincing the world that they need to change. If the Spirit of God now indwells you when He didn't before, 
Don't you think that your life ought to be different now than it used to be? Don't you think that your conduct should be controlled by biblical convictions? Your lines in the sand. Your places that you will not give in to. Deal breakers. Things that you will not waver on. I might mess up in a million other ways. But the gospel is going to remain the gospel that I have to tell to somebody else. We left off in verse number 9. Pick up reading with me in verse number 10. He says, you are, guess what this word really is, is martyrs. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe, as you know. How we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. That you would have a walk worthy of God who calls you in his own kingdom and glory. They live unwaveringly. How so? Number one, they display an example Gospel stewards display an example for others to follow. I mentioned those three adverbs to you earlier there in verse number 10. Devoutly, justly, blamelessly. This is how Paul describes his conduct. It's how he describes how he behaved himself. It's how we should be able to describe how we behave ourselves in public. Now listen, it's one thing when you say about yourself, I have behaved devoutly and justly and rightly. It's a whole nother ball game when somebody else says that about you. Isn't that truth? When your children come to you, especially at Christmas time, and they tell you just how good they've been, you believe it, don't you? Of course you do. But when your child's teacher or somebody in church comes and they tell you how good your child has been, it means an awful lot more, doesn't it? Can you imagine if your child's bitterest enemy, my child doesn't have any enemies, okay, you hadn't been to school with them, but okay. That kid that doesn't like them, that kid that has lied about them, that kid that has stolen from them, imagine when that kid comes and tells you how good your child has been. That's what these verses are like. It's not just that Paul is saying these things about himself. It's what the people in Thessalonica 
are saying about Him. The same people who ran Him out of town. The same people who received Him a second time. The same people who listened to the Gospel and who heard and who believed. Notice how he begins in verse number 10. He says, you are witnesses of this. You have seen this yourself. You have seen our character. You have seen our conduct. And throughout this entire passage, Paul is called upon their testimony. Verse number 1, he began the very whole chapter by saying, for you yourselves know. In verse number 5, as you know. In verse number 9, for you remember. And even in verse number 11, as you know. People are watching you. They know. They know whether your words and your ways match. They know whether or not you're the real deal. They know. So don't rend the gospel impotent. By leading a life that's inconsistent and contrary with the message that you have to depart. Now, it's one thing for you to say this about yourself. It's another thing for other people to say this about you. It's quite another thing for your enemies to say this about you. But it's a whole other ball game when God says it about you. Notice what he says there again in verse number 10. You are witnesses, and God is also. He said the same thing back in verse number 5. God is witness. He is witness of these things. Your life is a living example of Christ. My senior year of college... I had a job that I just didn't like. I mean, I I didn't like it at all. It it felt worthless. It felt useless. I'd only been a Christian for just a few years. And I remember going home and telling my mom, I'm going to quit this job. You know, I don't like this job. They don't pay me enough to do this job. You're right. My mom said, Tim... You might be the only Jesus any of them people see. <sighs> Thanks a lot, Mom. Now I can't quit. That's what I'm telling you. Don't quit. Don't quit. If anybody had reason to quit, it was Paul. These people needed him. And those people out there need you. They need your example. The gospel steward displays a godly example. Number two, they demand with exhortation. You may say to me, Tim, you don't, you, <laughs> you ain't the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. That's why I tell people when they say, have a nice day. You're not the boss of me. Listen, the reality is this. I do want to make demands of you. I do expect 
greater things from us. But it's not, it's not a demand that comes authoritarian-like. It's a demand that comes with exhortation. It's one that's mimicked and then said, come on and let's do this together. Look at what I mean. Look down in verse number 11. I mentioned there, he already, he already says this, as you know. Alright, so what is it that they know? Paul recognizes that they know how he, look at these words, how he exhorted them. What does that mean? It, 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 means to, it means to compel people. It means to get them to do what they might not want to do otherwise, but something that they ought to do. <clears throat> how I exhorted you. How I charged you. What does that mean? It means to show them their commission. In the same way that I said, the Great Commission is our commission. You are to be making disciples everywhere. That is our charge. And then he says that he comforted them. It's a reminder, nobody's sending you out there by yourself. Nobody's even asking you to come up with a plan all by yourself. Jesus is with you at every step along the way. With these words, which really seem to me as a way of Paul saying, as you know, I challenged you with the gospel. It reminds me of Paul telling those Corinthians, therefore I urge you, imitate me. And then he tells them a second time, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. He uses the example here like a dad does with his kids. He wants them to have a walk that's worthy of their calling. It's just like John writes when he says, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in the truth. We have no greater joy than to hear that our church members walk devoutly and justly, and righteously, but also that they are gospel stewards, telling men and women and boys and girls how they can know the Savior. Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes with me for a moment. I'm not going to ask you if you're a gospel steward. If you have received the gospel of Christ, then you are a gospel steward. The question at the end is the same as the question at the beginning. What will you do with that with which you have been entrusted? What will you do with the gospel? Is there somebody in your family who needs to know Jesus? Is there somebody among your friends, your co-workers, your classmates who need to know Jesus? Can you love them 
unselfishly? Can you labor that they might hear untiringly? Will you live in front of them unwaveringly? That's the real challenge. And the commitment that you should make before the Lord on this very day. To call that person by name and say, Dear God, I pray for so and so. Use me, God. Use me. That I might impart the gospel to them. I don't know how to do it. And I am scared to death. You give me boldness. You give me opportunity. You give me words. And I will do it. Can you tell him that? It may very well be that somebody in this room, when I said, you pray for them by name, that there's somebody in here who's praying for you. That you don't really know the Lord. Why don't you make that sure today? Receive the gospel. Receive Christ. Receive everlasting life. Father, we ask that you would bless these moments with the power of your presence that You would draw those to salvation who need it, that You would draw those to the altar who need to pray for their loved ones or their known ones, praying for those who simply would enlist in the work today. Father, we pray for those who hear this as a warning bell that areas of their life need to be made right with You. Spirit of God, do Your work today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Pastor Tim, thanks you for joining us here today on Brit David Podcast. And he would like to invite you to check out our past messages here in our podcast library. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Britt David Podcast.